Well, it's great to be back with you. This is my our last few weeks. I've been on the what was the final leg of the sabbatical that you allowed me to be on as a result of I was here. I've been here seven years now, starting our eighth year here at First Church, and so uh, we have a sabbatical policy. And so uh, you allowed me to be gone a couple months in the in the uh, in the summer, and then the last couple weeks uh, on a little visioning kind of time, getting ready for uh, this new year that we're in. So it's good to be back with you. It's awesome to know that we've got some wonderful staff that can jump in when I'm out and away, and they can do a great job. I know you've enjoyed uh, Pastor Kevin uh, a few weeks ago and Pastor Chris uh, last week, and so I want to say hello to our Benton Heights campus uh, by video and our uh, campus over in Stevensville. Uh, Pastor Chris, appreciate the great job. I know he did uh, while I was away as well. So we are three churches, three campuses, one church working together to try to uh, as we say around here, our vision is to ignite Christ's passion in everyday people that restores God's ideal. And so together we're doing that, three campuses, one church. Well, take your Bible, if you would, and we're going to continue this series that we uh, jumped into a couple of weeks ago um, called New Year's Revolution. Uh, as you're turning uh, in, uh, in your Bible to Mark, the 12th chapter, we're going to be in the 41st verse. So as you're turning there, maybe you got on your phone or an iPad or whatever, or you got your Bible with you, I encourage you to bring your Bible uh, with you to church. It's great to follow along and see what God's saying, and you can see it for yourself uh, in God's Word. But uh, as you're turning there, um, uh, just got back to today from a staff retreat where uh, we got all the ministry staff together, went away for a few days, and just dreamed and visioned and prayed and thought about what could be, and God, who, are, who, who do you want us to be, and where are we going? And, and uh, so over the next few weeks, we'll be rolling out some of the, what we feel are some great, wonderful opportunities and vision that God uh, has uh, been giving us as we think about our future as a church. So I'm really excited, uh, come back fired up, ready to, uh, to go and see what the next, uh, next part of the journey is for us together. Well, in this series, uh, the name of it is the New Year's Revolution. And we think about the teachings of Jesus, kind of center on the teachings of Jesus, that Jesus in so many ways was revolutionary. When you see the way he interacted, the way he taught, the way he, uh, the way he loved people, what he did was revolutionary. If we think about that idea of a revolution, let me just give you a quick definition. It comes from a Latin word, which means a turnaround. But a definition of a revolution is this. It's a fundamental change in power or organizational structures that takes place over a relatively short period of time. So again, a fundamental change in power or organizational structures that takes place over a relatively short period of time. Jesus Christ brought revolution. Jesus brought fundamental change in power in the organizational structures of this world. And we want to say to you as we think about this New Year's revolution is that we want to invite Christ as we look into his word and through the stories of what he taught us to be a revolutionary in us, to bring a revolution in our lives, to bring a reorganization of the structure of our lives and the, as God works through us in the structure of this world, the power structure of this world. And so I just want to invite you to pray that God brings that revolution through his, the teaching of his, uh, of his son. So we've talked about it the last couple of weeks. We talked about first about the revolution of grace, that Christ brought uh, this revolution of grace into our world. We think about, think about 
what Christ came to do. We look at all the other major world religions in, in this world, and those religions are based on the basic premise that you need to do something to appease God, to, to please God, to, to gain God's favor. What can you do about, you know, to, 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 to make that happen? What we know from grace that it's, it's unmerited favor. It's not something we've earned. It's not something we've deserved. Deserve. So when we think about what Christ came to do, it's a revolution of grace. But what we celebrate is that Christ has already done what needs to be done. He died for us. And so it's accepting this grace that he has given us. And so a couple weeks ago we talked about that revolution of grace, of what Christ has done. Jesus also came and taught a revolution of forgiveness. Pastor Chris last week talked about that, that Jesus' followers are forgivers, that we forgive our enemies. When asked how many times should we forgive someone, Jesus says you need to forgive 70 times 7. There's, there's no end to the amount of forgiveness we need to offer because we have been forgiven. And if we have been forgiven, who are we not to forgive others? There's another revolutionary teaching. And again, it's in this 12th chapter of the book of Mark revolutionary teaching that has the power to change our lives. And I just want to invite you to allow this teaching from Jesus to change your life. Mark 12. It says that Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. And he watched the crowd, he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two small, very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. I don't know about you, but a fun pursuit is watching people. It's kind of like bird watching, uh, but with people. And I don't know if you've ever sat at a mall or went to a train station or the airport and had some time to kill, but uh, it's, it's kind of fun watching people. And I would encourage you not like bird watching. Don't do it with binoculars because you might end up in jail if you do that. But, but uh, but people watching is what Jesus was doing. And so it says that he sat down for a little time. I don't know what was going on, but he had some spare time. And so he does a little people watching uh, in the temple area. And so what does he notice? Scripture says in the story that he notices that there were some people, and there really were three years of people. There were just the, probably just the regular people that were putting in amounts of money because it says that he, uh, Jesus sat down to the place and watched the crowd. So there, was, there were others in the crowd that were doing this, but... But then he says that there were a number of rich people, a number, several, who threw in large amounts of money into the temple treasury. Now, nothing too out of the ordinary doesn't really indicate that. Uh, and I just want to, as kind of a sidebar, notice that Jesus doesn't, he, he, these people were throwing large amounts of money. He talks about rich, the rich were doing that. He doesn't say it in terms of that's a bad thing. The, the teaching that that we find in, this, in these verses is not that there's anything wrong with that. Nothing, again, too out of the ordinary there. But what's the thing that, that causes Jesus to uh, then call his disciples over and say, hey, look at this, take note of this. What was the teachable moment in the story? The teachable moment in the story is when something different happened. 
Something different than just the crowd, something different than the, the several rich people who had come and they threw in large amounts of money. But the, the different thing happened when a poor widow, a poor woman comes. And it says that she took, which was different than the other, she took two very small copper coins worth a fraction, it says, of a penny. And if you look and you study and scholars tell us that those two coins would have amounted to the smallest Roman coin. They were using different coinage, the Hebrews were, the Jewish people were. And so, and so this was equivalent to the smallest Roman coin, which uh, was equal to one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. Now, some of you math whizzes can figure up what that is exactly, how much of that. Uh, but I've done the work for you. You can go ahead and do it if you want. But if you think about an average wage in our day and age, basically it was a buck or two was what she was throwing into this treasury. And so she comes along, and out of her poverty, it says, she throws in a couple bucks. And, he, and let's just go back and let's read it again. What does it say that she does? I, and what does Jesus say about what she does? He says in verse 43, I tell you the truth, the poor widow has put more in the, to the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, she put in everything, all that she had to live on. And so what... What I just get, what we need to get as we look at what Jesus is teaching us, is what we see in this story is a revolution of generosity. That's, I think, the teaching point or something we can glean from that, that she gave more than the others. And when he talks about that she gave more than all the others, it, it wasn't the sum of the money that was the, the big deal of what he was talking about. Because other rich people gave more monetarily, but he says she gave more. She gave more than the others. That there was something different that was going on in her. There was a revolution that was going on in her. There was a change that was happening that we need to grab a hold of. There's a revolution of motivation in her. There's a revolution of sacrifice in her. There's a revolution of the condition of her heart. There's a revolution of the surrender that it takes to give everything back to God. And so let's talk about what would it look like if we listen to what Jesus was trying to teach his followers, his disciples, and how that might be applied into our own lives as we think about living a revolutionary life, living a revolutionary life that, that models the revolution that Jesus came to offer us. And so what would a revolution of generosity look like? Now, the obvious application is always talking about money. And yeah, there's, I mean, that's obvious it's that she put in money. So the obvious uh, application is, yes, the, the, he's talking about money. And we get a little nervous in the church when anybody talks about money. We don't do that a whole lot around here, but, but uh, it makes us a little apprehensive or nervous. And I would just encourage you to see throughout Scripture, any number of places, Jesus and other places, there's some great truth when it comes to money. And we would be wise to heed what the Bible says about money. And this is one of those places. But, but the revolution of generosity extends beyond just. And we should think about how does this apply and, and look in our own lives. And am I generous with what I have, with my resources, with my money? But it, it extends beyond that. And so think not just in those terms, but expand that out. And what does it look like when I think about the rest of my life? That everything that I am and everything that I have, I'm a steward of that. And so the way that I live, what I possess, the, the money that I have, the time that I have, the energy that I have, the, the talents and abilities, all of that that I have, I'm a steward. And the principles that we see when we think about revolutionary generosity can be pl applied across the board. And so 
Over the next few minutes, again, let's listen to what God has to say to us on this, these multiple levels. And the first thing is, I think, if we were to try to get some points that we could apply into our lives, when we think about generosity, revolutionary generosity, is that revolutionary generosity, the first thing, is that it gives sacrificially, not strategically. That what we see in her that was she was giving sacrificially, not just strategically. So again, let's go back to the story. What does the scripture say? In verse 44, it says that they gave, they gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, she puts in everything, all that she had to live on. She was sacrificially giving. It was all that she had. It was all the money. That's what scripture says. It was all the money that she had. So she had gone there having made the decision she had two coins. She didn't say, well, I'll give half because then I'll have a little bit at least. Be able to get a cup of coffee on the way home or whatever. She doesn't make that decision. She makes the decision that I'm going to give everything. And when she made that decision, she was sacrificing it. So there were things undoubtedly that she would have wanted, that we all, we all like to have stuff, and the, that she then was not able to get or to buy or to get a hold of. So there were those things that may, she might have wanted, but there was also things that she probably needed this as a result of saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this way. I'm gonna, there's going to be a revolution in my thought pattern, so I'm going to give everything. So it was revolutionary because she wasn't giving from the angle of what can I afford to give. That's strategic. We go back to the story again. And we see the rich, rich people that came and they threw in out of their wealth, Jesus says. And there probably wasn't anything that as they threw something in that they were going to miss. They weren't going to miss any meals. There was, they could still get... Uh, what they needed undoubtedly but probably also a lot of stuff that they wanted as they gave and it wasn't that Jesus is saying that they were doing anything bad that's not the point of the story but she was giving sacrificially and so if we would look into our lives and to, and to think about what would a revolution of generosity be that there would be times that we would Model that, that there would be times when God prompts us and works in us that we would be willing, like she was willing to give sacrificially. Not just from the angle of what can I afford to give. How much time can I afford to give? I, I don't know that I can do that because I don't know if I can afford that. I don't know if I can afford it in my schedule. I don't know if I can afford it in my, in my budget. Those kind of questions. So again, Jesus wasn't implying that they were doing, those that did it differently were doing anything wrong in that moment. But I think, again, the thing that we have to get and the point that needs to be made is this woman surely wasn't every t single time she got two small copper coins, she got a, a part of a wage and she had just a little bit that she every single time gave that way. Because she wouldn't have been able to make it if every single time she had anything, she gave it all away. That's not the point, but what we see in her that Jesus says, something's going on there, there's a revolution going on there, there's something significant going on there, is that she came into that temple, came into that space, something's going on, she'd been prompted in some way, and she gave it. There was a sacrifice. Everything that we have is the Lord's, ultimately. We've been blessed no matter what we have, the clothes on our back, the car that we drive, the house, the whatever, wherever we're at, everything, it's his. And we're stewards of it. 
So are we generous with it? Are there times, again, whether it's with the money that we possess or the time or the, the abilities or talents, is it all used for us? And is, it, is my life just solely focused on me and what, what I want and what I can get out of this life and squeeze out of this life? Or are there occasions and times when, again, as a follower of Christ, that I'm willing to say, you know what? This is a moment where I need to be sacrificial in my generosity and to think in those revolutionary ways. And we see in this poor widow a revolution of generosity. Let me give you an example from our own lives. As I had said at the beginning, it's great to be back after some sabbatical time. And while I was away, I still am one of those guys that I like to, to write the check. Um, you know, some give uh, just electronically and kind of set it up in automatic, and that's great. But I like to write the check. And so uh, through the year, I do that and uh, recognize that I missed some being away. And that's probably not the greatest thing I should have planned ahead, but I didn't. I'm sorry. And so I wanted to catch up. And so I, at the end of the year before Christmas, I looked and uh, kind of where I was and kind of made some calculations. And, and uh, there's a, a number that I kind of came up with that I needed to, to do, and I kind of was thinking about that, and I was kind of thinking in terms of, okay, that's a pretty big check, and, and it's the end of the year, and Christmas is coming up, and, and uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I'm, I'm considered as a pastor self-employed, and so, you know, a lot of you work somewhere, and your employer pays half your taxes, and then you pay half your taxes, and as self-employed, we pay all of that, and it feels like more, um, and so January 15th is one of those wonderful days, if you're self-employed, where you get to send in your, your, uh, your, your taxes, your estimated taxes, so I had that, and I got a son that is in college, and, and we're trying to help him some, and and so, and so there's all these things that are kind of rolling through our mind, but it felt, you know what, this is what you need to do. And so, and so the strategic thing would have been to have gotten out my calculator or my abacus or whatever and, and calculated and wrote it down and, okay, and this is what we have and, and I know I got this bill and I know I got the IRS bill coming up and, and so if I give this, then they'll have that left. And, you know, I thought, you know, I, I'm just going to write the check. I told Crystal later what I did, um, and I just wrote the check. It wasn't a strategic moment financially, but it was what I needed to do, and I wrote the check. The cool thing is that God always seems to kind of work things out, and all I'm saying with that is that there are times that we need to be willing to be sacrificial and not just strategic in what we do. Let's go back to the text again. And we think about what, she's, or what Jesus is trying to teach us through her model. That yeah, there's this revolution of generosity where she gives sacrificially. But it's not just that. We also see that what I would say is we look at her example that she gave privately, not pridefully. Privately, not pridefully. So again, what does the text say in verse 41? It says that many rich people threw in large amounts. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. This is in the day they lived in, they didn't have a lot of folding money. So you didn't write checks and give it at the temple. There's no ATMs. There was no uh, automatic withdrawals or debit cards, any of that kind of stuff. So it was all coinage. It was all change. And so, and so, and what did, what does the scripture say? I mean, think about that. This, they, they were coming into this temple area. Jesus is sitting there, people watching, and these 
people were bringing in, it said, large amounts of money. And how were they putting it into the thing that was holding the coinage? What, were they, what did it say they did? What was the word it used? They threw in large amounts of coins. Not folding money, coins. And so imagine the, the rattle, the, the, what it would sound like. So when someone gives a large amount, it was, you could hear it. There was something going on there. So there was, as we see in the story, Jesus, or what's recorded is the way they gave their money. It says that they threw it in, but notice what it says of the widow. What did she do? It says that the widow gave it in a different way. It says that she put her offering in. It's gonna, I like to, I don't know if you do this, but I like to when I read the scripture to kind of try to imagine, try to think about the scene and what was going on. And what's the picture that you see? I see a picture of this woman that just from her outward appearance, you could tell that she was poor, that she was struggling, that maybe she was a widow, maybe there's some way to identify that. And she comes in and she doesn't come to make a big show. She's come because, because she, she's, she wants to do this. She comes in not with an agenda to make a scene. She wasn't trying to be flashy. But she gives this private, personal expression of her love for her God. It's a beautiful picture of a revolution of generosity where she just kind of privately kind of does this wonderful thing as she loves her God through giving. A couple uh, years ago, I got a call from someone in the church and they said to me that they wanted to uh, sit down and they had something they wanted to talk to me about. And as a pastor, you know, sometimes that doesn't end well. And, uh, and you never know how that's going to go. Just a cold turkey call, hey, I need to talk to you like, like soon. And uh, so, you know, you, you, you show up and I was sitting there and this person began to tell me the story of a series of events that had transpired in their life and how God had used this series of events um, to create a huge blessing. And he shared that uh, he and his wife wanted to, uh, to, to make a donation to the church and he, he, he kind of hate to ask, okay, I mean, we're having breakfast here. I mean, is this, I mean, what, you, know, you hate to ask that question, the what, what, are you, what exactly are we talking about here? Uh, he, you know, Kind of telling the story, so I didn't ask the question, but I'm just kind of wondering in my mind. And then he throws out this number that I'd never set across the table and ever heard of a number like that. Uh, part of what was going on at the same time in our church is that for the last multiple decades, we've been in debt. $2.2 million when I came eight years ago. And we had, as Dave Ramsey says, with gazelle-like intensity, been trying to, as a church pay off our debt, become debt-free, and be able to yell into the microphone, we're debt-free. And so we've been working on that, and so we're still several hundred thousand dollars short of that mark when I sat down at this breakfast kind of meeting. And so he told me about how that was going to happen, and you'd be getting a check, and just wanted you to know what was going on. And so we talked, it was kind of a natural question, where, where would you like to see that money go? And, uh, and we kind of talked about that a little bit, and then he said something that I'll never forget. He said, you know, this is not my money. Like, it, you, you know, I, you don't, it doesn't matter what I think. This is the Lord's money. And it struck me, just that, that, that idea, that he was adamant that this is not my money. 
So I give it, no strings attached. Yeah, you asked me what I would think, and so here's what I think, but it's the Lord's. It's His. That attitude, not the, so don't get hung up on some amount. I didn't give you an amount, but don't get hung up on some amount. The, the, it's the idea of, of what, what he was saying. And not a clamoring of, of, of being noticed, not a, not a here's what I want to do, not a pride kind of thing, but a humble, you know, this is, this is all God's. And I, I just love to have the privilege of being a conduit and to be able to give it and to be able to make a difference. It's that kind of idea, that kind of revolutionary generosity that is so different than our culture. A culture that loves the praise of men. A culture that loves the look at me of, of having a moment of, of how, look how awesome I am. And revolutionary generosity is focused on advancing the kingdom. So revolutionary generosity is when I give of my time and I don't have to be noticed. I give of my resources. I don't have to be noticed. I give of, my, of myself in and, and places that, that I'm willing to, to go into the least of these and to, and to give the cup of cold water in Jesus' name and, and not have to be recognized and all that stuff. And that's what we see in this woman. We see that she was willing to give. She didn't come with some, hey, look at me. Look, I'm giving everything. She puts the money in the treasury. It's not about us getting the glory. It's about God getting the glory. A final thing real quick. If we go back one more time to the story, this is a pretty short passage. There's not a lot of detail in it. And again, I kind of like to kind of think and, and kind of think creatively about what it looks like and what were the people experiencing or thinking or feeling? What was going on in their hearts? And what was, what was happening in this, in this woman as she, she gave? What was, you know, what was her motivation? And we don't know all the answers, but from context, we can kind of draw some some. Uh, some informed conclusions and so I would say and and, you know Jesus knows everything so Jesus was holding her up as this model so obviously something positive was going on in her as she gives these two copper two little coins and so what I would say thirdly is that we see her giving out of desire not from duty she was giving because she wanted to not because she felt like she had to she was giving out this, of this life of obedience, a life of blessing, a life of, I want to glorify God with, with, with what I have. One of the things that she would have learned from hanging out in the temple, one of the things they taught in those days was this big idea in the Old Testament is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And this is a way for her to do that, and that's what she was doing. That she showed up not because she felt like, I mean, there's no begrudgingly her giving it. She, it's, it's like we see, because Jesus, again, he's, he's holding her up as this example that, that there, it wasn't a sense of duty. I have to do that. And revolutionary generosity is not coming from the angle of, I have to, I have to do this. And so whether that's I feel guilty and so I need to volunteer and put some time in over here. I, need to, I feel guilty and I, I'm browbeat so I need to give here or do this or do that. No, to get to the point where, where we give ourselves and give our time and give our resources because we have a desire to do it that's a a depth of our relationship as a follower of Christ that I want to so how about us and to think about our own lives and to evaluate our own lives do we do I give do I tithe do I serve do I volunteer is it out of sense of duty or do I have a desire to be a blessing 
I've been blessed by God, and I want to be a blessing to God, and I want to glorify God, and I have a desire to, 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 to orient my life in such a way that I make a difference in this world, that when the Lord finally calls me home, that, that he, I'm going to stand before him, and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And in the New Testament, when it says that, that those crowns that we you know, get, that kind of thing, we won't even care about any of that, because it would be so wonderful to be in his presence and be able to glorify him for all eternity. So, do we give our time, do we give our talents, do we give our gifts and tithes and offerings and worship out of a sense of duty or out of desire? So just for a minute, let me just give you maybe what could be some practical application of how, to, how you might live out revolutionary generosity. And this is just to get the pump, the prime, prime the prompt, pump, not this is not all inclusive. And I want you to think about it because what I want you to encourage, encourage every single one of us to do is to, to take a step in re, with revolutionary generosity, to, to do something, to, to live it out, to flesh it out in some way. And so let me just give you some examples of what you might do. Maybe it, you think about revolutionary generosity, maybe that will influence what you buy. Because you think, you know what, if I, if I buy less stuff for myself, then I would have more opportunity for that neighbor, that coworker, that, that story that I heard that, of that need, that I always help someone else helps them or makes a difference or reaches out to them in Jesus' name. I, I think hope someone else. I, I call the church and you guys take care of that kind of stuff. Or maybe revolutionary generosity would be me making some space, some margin in my life so that when God taps me on the shoulder, that I have some margin that I can make a difference and I can, I can give that, I can do that. Revolutionary generosity goes against the culture of our day. That just wants to say more, 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 and acquire, and acquire. You know what? If we don't need 50, I heard somebody say, if you don't need to have 50 of something, you're not going to be satisfied if you have 70 of it. So to to make some space so that you can create some margin. Uh, Another great, maybe, application would be, we've got a classroom here called Financial Peace University. It starts... Uh, actually, they just kind of met, but they didn't really start into the material. But on Wednesday night, this weekend, or this, this week, uh, they really start the first class. It's uh, here at the St. Joe campus. You can come, you can get signed up online, you can call the church office, you can do that. It's a great way to help get help, some help creating some margins so you can do some of those kind of things. Maybe it's cutting back. Maybe it's cutting back that with, uh, in my time or my money, or, or, or whatever, I cut back in, in, in what I'm doing for myself so I can have some, again, some margin to be able to help, to be able to influence, to be able to make a difference in someone else's life. We think about giving of our resources. Uh, we have a benchmark around here. We talk about tithing. That's 10. That means 10%. And so you think, oh, I, there's no way I could ever start there. We'll start somewhere. And so that could be a step that I, maybe it's a 3 or a 5%, and then I ask God to help me to to increase that over time, what would it look like to take a step? Revolutionary generosity. Thinking about those around us. Praying, God, lay someone, lay a need on my heart. 
And maybe you say, you know what, I have very little resources, and I'm like that, that widow, poor widow, that's me, that's my story. And so maybe for you it would be getting your small group together, or uh, some people in your section, of the, the section community, some people that you sit around and say, hey, I heard the story of this person, and there's this real need. And so how about three or four or five or six of us, we, we get together and we do this or that or whatever, and we help that, and we meet that need. And wouldn't it be awesome if all of us were thinking and open and looking and 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 responding to the Spirit of God alive in us. That's, that's the fun part of being a follower of Jesus when he taps us on the shoulder that we have some margin to go and to do and to, to pivot and turn and to go where he wants us to go and to make a difference in a life. Revolutionary generosity. The teachings of Jesus are revolutionary. They're revolutionary in his day. They're revolutionary in our day. They go outside the norm of what our culture says is good and right and acceptable in what you should do. Jesus taught us as he points to this woman in the story, this poor woman. And this is what it looks like. There's something here. There's something going on in her. And, and, and that's something significant. It's not a story about how much to give because there are wildly different amounts. But it's a story about a heart. It's a story about an attitude. The story that not condemning this group because of the way they give, gave or saying everybody needs to be like that person, but it's someone that's responding sacrificially, not strategically. It's someone that's giving not pridefully, but privately. It's someone who gives out a sense, not of duty, but a sense of desire. And so this weekend for you, what would be the one step that God would prompt you as we conclude our time here. The one step that you could take toward living a life of revolutionary generosity like Jesus taught. Heavenly Father, God, sometimes kind of awkward when we talk about some of these subjects. But Father, we know that money and stuff can really get a hold of our heart. Can, can really inhibit us following you. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to us and help us to understand how we could live out a revolutionary generosity like we see modeled in this poor widow who gave less really than anyone else there. But Jesus held up to this wonderful model and she still, 2,000 years later, her small, small gift still is this model that helps people to this day. And I pray, Father, that you would use it in our lives as this week as we think about her, that we would put some things into practice in our own lives that revolutionize the way that we live and we live a generous life. Thank you, Father. And now speak to us in the concluding moments of this time. In the name of Christ, we pray.